there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Well, I can tell it's one of those moments where you show up to the doctor's office and she, he shows up about a second after you get there. And then you don't know what's going on. Dr. Bazaar, Advanced Medicine, are you with me? I am with you, Robert. I'm always with you. You know that. You had me a little, just a little bit nervous. <laughs> you were so busy right as we're trying to go to air. I'm like, I hope he finishes whatever he's doing because we're going to air what, no matter what. So here we are. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. Thank you for uh, for giving me that flexibility, knowing that I was going to be there when the ball was shot up to slam it through. Okay. Absolutely, my friend. By the way, uh, safe journey home. Obviously, uh, last was it last week you were in in Bethlehem or two weeks? I can't even follow because I didn't sleep much. I I got in at like four in the morning. I was supposed to get in at like eleven thirty at night. So delays beyond belief. So I'm leaning on you and Super Don heavily this second hour. I'm just warning you. No problem. I actually got in last night myself and uh, came in from a direct flight from Rome. And uh, but yeah. The, the Middle East was awesome. I actually spent some time in in Petra. Got some amazing pictures. Had no idea how amazing Petra was. I didn't realize it was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. And um, pretty pretty amazing trip. Well, I can't wait to see the pictures. Now, we, we had talked about the fact that you may have meetings with uh, Ministry of Health officials some more. I don't know if that was is if there's anything you can reveal to us. I realize a lot of this stuff is behind the scenes because before it rolls out to the public, wherever it is. But we're always curious as advanced medicine makes its inroads into places we thought it would never reach. Well, there's a lot of interest. Um, I had a very interesting conversation uh, with the I'll just say with the wife of the Deputy Minister of Health, who I met a couple of years ago, and she's actually an immunologist herself and um, leads a pretty well-known lab um, that provides services in a number of different Middle Eastern countries besides Jordan. And uh, being an immunologist, um, obviously the issues of vaccines would be an interesting topic, as you can imagine. And um, we started having a little discussion about the vaccines, and she told me, of her daughter who just recently had a baby and what the doctors were telling her daughter to do with the baby as far as the vaccination. She told the daughter she didn't agree with that. And the primary care physician or the, or the uh, pediatrician, I guess it was, told the immunologist, you know, the, the, the grandmother now, and the baby's grandmother, the immunologist mm-hmm. I was talking with, tells her that, um, no, 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 this is the right thing, and, you know, you, you need to give these vaccines. And and so she's saying, you know, I, I just really didn't, it didn't feel right. And she said, but, you know, I'm, I'm an immunologist. So I said, okay, let's talk from an immunology perspective. And we went through the whole thing. And by the end of the conversation, which took about 20 minutes, she was outraged. She was like, you know, this is ridiculous, because I'm asking, okay, tell me, what, what are the what are antibodies are effective in a newborn child? And she says, well, none. They're all based upon you know, the mother. And I said, right, and which, which uh, immunoglobulin are we talking about? And she looks at me like I'm an idiot, of course, because she's an immunologist. She said, well, IgM, of course. And I said, yes, exactly. So now we're relying on the maternal immune, immunity to help this baby. So 
Then I went through the hepatitis B, and you know, I'm asking the questions because I know these questions. I know the I, answers to them. I, uh, this so is like, the Socratic know. method, uh, Doctor Richard. Yeah. I love this. I love this where this is going, and the fact that she was rolling with you on this and, and got to that oh, point. Absolutely. But I, keep telling me the journey. I'm loving it. Okay, so hepatitis. You know, I asked her. So let's let's talk about different things like hepatitis B. She goes, "Well, yeah, that's kind of, you know, we know hepatitis B um, is probably not important." I said, "Probably not important." And she's looking at me. I said, "Okay, look, why don't you tell me what the patient population is hepatitis B?" Uh, necessary for she says well uh she hesitates and then she says like promiscuous people you're talking about i said okay prostitutes you know um she's thinking drug users i said right iv drug users and what else she's kind of getting stuck and i say well how about healthcare providers because we're dealing with these type of patients and she said that exactly healthcare providers and i asked her how how often does a hepatitis b booster need to be given what's the minute she says 10 years and i said okay and um also, we know that when you give hepatitis B, how many shots do you need to be given to get the primary um, immune system, go, the primary immunity going, supposedly based upon hepatitis B titers when they're drawn, how many shots? And she said, usually three, which is, you know, that's standard. So I said, okay, now are we really concerned that our newborn baby, uh, within the first 10 years of life, because it's only going to be good for 10, is going to become an IV drug user, a prostitute, or a healthcare provider before they turn 10 years of age? And she's, you know, she's looking at me like, Holy, yeah, I don't know yeah. what I can say. Thank you for holding off on that second word. But yes, exactly. You you brought her through a journey in 10 minutes that some don't achieve in a lifetime, Dr. Batar. That is absolutely fantastic. And did you go through any other shots with her? Well, or, we started there, but I, I don't think I needed to say any more because at that point she was like, you know, wait a second. Well, and, and I told her, I said, if we end up doing something in Jordan, can I, can I um, expect you to support what we're doing and with the vaccine. And she, before I could even finish the sentence, she said, absolutely, you will have all the support from me and my circle of influence that you can possibly get. And she kind of gave me that look, you know, because the deputy minister of health is her, is her husband. <sighs> but he's also the person that was the one who brought this up to me about the number of refugees from Syria and from um, uh, Libya and from uh, Iraq that have come into Jordan and this refugee population has an extremely high level of autism. And we had this discussion back in 2015 when I was in the Middle East. So he was the one who actually thought about this issue. And, and I, we didn't talk about vaccinations as much, but we, he knew that it's based upon some of the things that we have created. When I say we, I mean the medical community has created iatrogenically. So, uh, you know, it's, the problem is you can have some of the people at the highest level. I mean, look at our own government. You've got... Trump, who talked about the vaccine issue from his platform running for president, one of his most, probably the most valid issue he talked about, and they tried to paint him into this corner as a, as a crazy man for talking about the autism vaccine link. Um, so we've got the highest level of governmental official that understands and recognizes this issue, but to implement that on a public health level, it's quite a different story. Yes. And yeah. uh, so we can have the support, but that doesn't necessarily mean whether we'll have no, the, 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 mach time. the machinery in the public health sector is, uh, man, it, it's on an automatic pilot and it could come grinding to a halt if people get out of the collectivist mindset in which it operates. Because I've said this, peop, group, you, you don't get sick as a group. You don't get well as a group. You get sick as an individual. You get well as an individual. Public health, the only thing I can give credit to that concept is, well, if we improve in a general sense the sanitation, sewage, and hygiene of any given area, and also nutrition. 
but it still impacts each individual on an individual basis, but they collectivize it. And they say, oh my gosh, if we do not give shots to X percent, like 94%, then the shots don't work. Pay no attention to the fact that I just said this. Let's just get the, let's just ramp up the numbers so we have this nonsensical concept of herd immunity in terms of induced via vaccination artificially. Again, bring that into the immunologist world and, you know, point out that there's a distinct difference between uh, a so-called disease burning itself out within a community or population naturally versus trying to inject it away. It's a completely different thing, and they often conflate the two and can't see the difference. Yeah, and I think that's where, that's probably where the biggest problem lies. Um, But I don't even know, Robert, I mean, that's that's based upon somebody who actually has uh, a true desire to advance the issue as opposed to somebody who knowingly is complicit with the issue as the vaccines are causing a problem and still will uh, try to um, make an argument that we should continue using it. In other words, complicit, somebody being complicit versus somebody who really truly doesn't know uh, and is trying to do the right thing, there's two different aspects here. And so in, in the right. political realm, when we're talking about some of these governmental agencies some of them truly may think that they're doing the right thing. They have no idea. Whereas others, knowingly, like the office of the world, are being complicit with the crime that's being committed, essentially. Or Senator Richard Dickey Pan, who now wants to suppress freedom of speech in California uh, because it's in, a, in opposition to his religious worldview of vaccines as sacrament in the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism. Now, we, we can talk, and like you did, you, you, you engaged on an intellectual and even a medical discussion, immunological level, uh, with the wife of the health minister, who is an immunologist. That was fantastic. And I love doing that because people have intellectual integrity. They'll roll with you on it and they'll go, okay, okay, okay. Because they're, they're really in it, I believe, for the right reasons. And they show themselves at that moment, whether they are or they aren't. Now, we talk about the political animal aspect of this. And there, no matter how much science we throw back at them, it's going to be ignored. This has been the case. They just yell and scream at you. So we have to take it to a deeper place. And I've said this with religious belief, the First Amendment, which Dickie Pan is trying to suppress in California. We have to keep pushing the fact that we have autonomy, religious, spiritual autonomy, to to decide what is right for us and our family, our children. And the government doesn't get to make that decision. The doctor doesn't get to make that decision. And there's an interesting article at Natural Blaze, Catherine Frompovich, who's doing some great writing. She says, parallels between the civil rights movement and denials of self-determination regarding vaccines. And I always try to remind folks about this, that, you know, we can get lost in the science, which I dig. I like it. You like it. But some people aren't going to respond to the science. And we've got to push back on the freedom issue. That's why I say health, freedom, healing, liberty is a fundamental issue, a spiritual issue, and nothing less than that until people get there. They can be manipulated into the scientific realm and then yelled at and shouted down, and they don't succeed where we can. Yeah, that's a really good point. I saw that email, actually, that uh, came out as well, and uh, didn't read the whole thing. But, yes, it's an interesting argument to make the similarities between the civil rights movement and the vaccination issue. Um, and this kind of comes back to, Robert, the, the point that you made earlier on and something that was going through my head as we were just speaking um, when you start looking at things like civil rights and you start looking at where we were 50 years ago and what the stance was 50 years ago and today where we are, and there's so many advances that have been made, and yet, despite those advances, there are still certain fundamental issues that still rear their ugly heads. So we, it's taken a long time, and even to this day, we don't have all the civil rights issues taken care of. So 
to kind of bring it home into my perspective, to kind of give you an idea, here I am. My youngest is 13. You know, I'm basically out of that window of having to fight for children's va- my own children's vaccination issues uh, or to prevent them from getting these vaccines. And here comes the college, which is Abby is right now. Got, got a letter, not from the college, but from the Department of Public Health saying that Abby needs his vaccines and they won't exempt him. Okay, stand by. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. Yeah, I want to talk about that because, again, they're, they're up in the ages, and people like our good friend Dr. Sherry Tempany have been warning us about this. They're coming after you adults, too. Don't think you're out of this. More advanced medicine with Dr. Bittar here on the Robert Scott Bell Show next. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, each week at this time, we go outside the box. No, we don't. We go advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. And uh, we're doing it right now on the vaccine issues we love to discuss because, uh, you know, listen, we can handle, uh, you know, the, the barbs thrown at us, the names that we're called. Uh, we know we are on the right side of history and the right side of right now. And we had Brian Hooker, our good friend, who you know very well as well, Dr. Bachar, last hour, talking about vaccine autism denialism, still rearing its ugly head. And now you're dealing with kids growing up, as am I, and my kids have never been touched by the vaccine needle. I would not let a doctor near them with those things, and yet they're getting to college age, right? Now, my son wants to be a gunsmith, so it it doesn't lend itself to what they call traditional uh, liberal arts colleges. We even checked in on one uh, 14-month program for gunsmithing, and we asked the question, do you require vaccines upon entry? He's like, no, what are you asking us that for? That's the craziest thing ever. So the gunsmiths don't give a flip. At least somebody's got common sense. But these liberal arts or even medical-type colleges, I guess it's a different story, and that's what you were beginning to tell us, Dr. Bittar. Yeah, so basically the um, university, am I son is attending almost finished his uh, freshman year he's got a couple you know another month and a half and then school will be over his freshman year will be behind him but there's this issue about his vaccination records and of course um we provided what we had they said well we need the complete shot record we said we need to get that from the hospital the hospital has no record of it so basically we told them that he had a history and you know just the normal thing that i've always done the normal exemption that was signed by another physician etc etc and uh, the Department of Public Health in North Carolina sent a notification saying that he was exempted from the MMR vaccine, but all the rest of the vaccines were mandated, and he would have to talk, take them. And I just happened to have had a bad day that day. I'm in the clinic as this letter comes in. Yes. And I told my office manager, who brought it to me, and she was kind of like wincing already because she knew this was going to be ugly. Uh-huh. I said, get him on the line for me. She tries to get the doctor on the line from the Department of Public Health, and, of course, I get a voicemail. And I left, I don't even remember what kind of message I left, but I know it was pretty nasty. I wanted her personal address so I could file a lawsuit against her and the Department of Public Health because anybody who thought that they were going to put a vaccine into my son who testified in front of the U.S. Congressional Subcommittee on Human Rights and Wellness after a vaccine injury, if they thought that they were going to put a vaccine, uh, inject them with the vaccine, I told them, you know, to me this is no different than you threatening my son with assault, and I will sue you and spend every dime that I have in my pocket to make sure that the world knows what you're trying to do and that nobody touches him with anything, with any kind of vaccine. So 
I haven't heard back from them yet. I have not heard back. <laughs> I, left, I left my personal cell phone number. Yes. Left my email address, and I said I want this information so that I can. I'm I'm done with talking to you people. I'm just going to file a lawsuit against you guys, and you do whatever. And I don't know whether she's thinking I'm a crazy person and hasn't responded, or because she's scared and she hasn't responded, or whether they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with this crazy person that calls. But the point is that, again, it comes down to at what point are you going to deal with idiocy? Either you can deal with idiocy by arguing with the wall, or you just tell them that you take the next step forward, I'm going to punch you in the face because I'm tired of this crap. I mean, yeah. my son's 19 years old. He's, it's a matter of public record. Matter, it's, it's a congressional... Um, it's on the congressional record, in other words. It goes all the way up to the federal level. Right. I mean, what happened with him and what, what happened and the result of it, and they're still trying to say that you, they're going to mandate a vaccine? Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, folks, this is this is the kind of the standard ground law. You know, they talk about it with firearms. There's no difference here in defense of your children or defense of your own body that you have to be willing to have the posture that they know they take their lives into their own hands. Should they proceed to assault or threaten you with assault and battery uh, with a potentially deadly weapon? And that is a vaccine. And that is reality. That is not um, hyperbole. And so your posture, of course, you have a background in the martial arts, Dr. Batar. You have, uh, you know, you've been in the military. People might say, well, I can't do what Dr. Batar does, right? But what do you say to them? I mean, it's very simple. It has no, no relevance to what you've done or who you are. It's whether or not you're willing to fight for your child. I watched a video that my son Rahan showed me on YouTube, and it was a remarkable video. It showed a little baby deer, or, or like a, a, an animal, uh-huh. that's, in a, that's in a creek. I don't know if you saw it, not a creek, in a, in a, like a riverbed. And you see these alligators just making a beeline for this baby, right? And then the, the video was captioned, it's the love of a mother. Then you see the mother antelope leap into the riverbed in between the baby and the alligator, sacrificing herself so that the baby had enough time to get away. Yeah. Yeah, are you willing to stand up? Yeah, it, it's a, are you willing to stand up for those you love and defend them with everything you got on the vaccine issue? That question hasn't been fully answered for everybody, but we'll continue talking next. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Two hours a day, six days a week on GCN, our home and broadcast radio syndication. One of those hours, very special because Dr. Batar is here doing advanced medicine. And medicalrewind.com has been the place for many years where you can go directly there. Advancedmedicine.com is expanding that into many other things. And those links are in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Also, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, UK Health Radio, SoundCloud, and when we do this live, we go on, guess what, YouTube. So those of you watching on YouTube, you had a bonus Q&A session with Dr. Batar. That's right. Go to RS Bell Media Channel on YouTube, and the, the full uh, archives are there in that regard, even off the air. And you get to hear a good question about chelating for mercury and things that aren't doing the, the job enough. And uh, with that, we're going to go into another uh, question of the day. I think that's what we call it here. In fact, yes, we do. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. 
first one is directed to the point, Dr. Batar, from Tex. We'd expect nothing less from Tex. Is the PSA test, if the TSA test, now you see this is where I'm, I've lost it. I can't even read it. Super Don, you read it for me. I need to take a nap. Uh, okay. All right, what am I reading here? The question, the question from of the day. Yes. No, no from text. Oh, oh, from text. All right, hold on. My computer crashed a few minutes ago, so. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, but that's thinking, okay. While Robert's, that's... while Robert's taking a nap and while Sean's yes. getting his computer going, I can tell a joke. No. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you. I got it. I got it here. Okay. All right, so Tex tech, wrote in, and he says, if the PSA test is not a true test for cancer, could you please tell me what test is trustworthy for the little floating boogers? <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it, the little floating boogers. Is that nasal talking... cancer that he's worried I, about there? Sinus boogers cancer? In, boogers in his prostate. I don't know, but okay. We, the, the PSA test has been debunked. It's not specific to the prostate. Women can have high PSA. What does that tell you? So, Dr. Pichara, this is a good question, actually. It's like, are there legitimate tests, and who's giving them for, quote-unquote, determining cancer or not? Well, this is a million-dollar question. So, the Oncoblock was a very popular test. We were, In fact, we were among the first three doctors in the United States to start using the Oncoblock. Um, right now, there is an issue with it. There, It was sold. The technology was sold to a Chinese company, and they're trying to automate it from what I understand. And so it's not readily available in the U.S. right now. There are other countries where it is available. Um, and I am able to use it on a, on a limited basis with uh, some of my patients if I, if I need it. But it's not readily available to people in the United States right now. Uh, it was, as you know, Robert. We yes. actually covered this on the show about four or five years ago. Um, a standard thing that I use with all my patients and have since 1997, so actually 21 years now, is the lymphocyte subpopulation. And that's a standard test that any doctor can obtain. It starts looking at the various levels of the um, lymphocytes, which are the white blood cells. It starts looking at the subpopulations, looks at CD3, CD4, CD8, looks at the natural killer cells, which is CD16, CD56, looks at the uh, B lymphocytes, which are what are responsible for creating the antibodies, that's the B, um, CD19. And you start looking at where these where these uh, lymphocytes are, what their levels are, what their relative uh, ranges are in reference to each other, meaning that they may be normal reference range, but then the ratio may be off in conjunction with one of the other lymphocytes. And so you start looking at these uh, numbers. Um, if a natural killer cell level is CD16, CD56 count, is low and the natural killer cell activity is low, that's pretty clear that you've got a picture of cancer going on. Even if there's no diagnosable cancer per se, there's a cancer that's there. You just can't see it right now on, on the MRI or on the CT scan or on the, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, natural killer cells and natural killer cell activity being that low, being, you know, subtherapeutic, it's only a matter of time. So basically looking at the, I look at the level of the immune function in the body to determine if somebody has a predisposition to getting cancer or not. When I say predisposition, I mean the setup of cancer. You cannot have cancer if your immune system is intact. If somebody's immune system is intact, you may end up having other problems, but you're not going to get cancer. Mm -hmm. If, however, your immune system is not intact, um, you are ripe for getting cancer because cancer cannot occur in an immune system that is intact. If it's damaged, if it's non-functional, then and only then can you get cancer. 
So now, we look at the immune system. Right. Uh, Dr. Batar, has anybody ever said to you, hey, can I get through this treatment thing you're doing for me and go back to the living the way I lived before because I really like that? Um, I think that they know that I would dismiss them from my practice, discharge them from the practice before they could even finish that sentence because to me yeah. it's an absolute waste of time. You know, there's an old saying, um, if you piss in the wind, you're going to get wet. And can I say that in there? Yeah, you're fine. Again, right? You're fine with that. Just don't okay. do it. So, you can say it. Don't yeah, do just it. Don't, exactly. Well, well, that's the thing. If you do that, you're just going to get wet. So mm. why waste your time, money, effort uh, in doing something that is going to result in no result? You know? Right. So, so here's my so, next leap from there is, all right, a man asks a question about the PSA, realizes it's a bunk test, but may still have concerns about the prostate. Like a lot of men as they're aging in our Western world do have issues, although we know it's one of the slowest moving forms of cancer and you'll end up dying of something else that has nothing to do with the prostate cancer. But, you know, knowing that whether it is cancer or isn't, how would you live, you know, if you perceive that you were suffering from cancer, should it or would it be different that if you weren't? In other words, if you live the lifestyle we would espouse based on what we know causes cancer, why would you, you know, wait for the cancer diagnosis? I guess this is a, you know, existential question. Everybody's different. Like, I, I decided to, to live differently at 24 because I saw my future. I didn't like what I saw based on my history. And, you know, if, if someone asks this, it's like, I'm only going to live the clean lifestyle if, you know, I get a definitive cancer test that tells me I actually have it. Then I'm going to change, right? I, and I don't know if that's where this is coming from in uh, this, this question from Tex, but I, I have a sense that there's people out there that ask it in that way. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point that you're bringing up, Robert, because this comes back to the nine steps. You know, people doing the nine steps, and we did the, the little in-house study with about 60 patients over a six-month period before the book came out to see how many consequent, how many uh, uh, people saw benefit from just implementing those nine steps, or the first eight of the nine steps, which were, you know, you don't need a doctor for them. That's the title of the book, Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And um, we had 86% of all symptomology reported by that group of people resolve in less than six months just from implementing those steps, which you didn't need any medication or prescription or, you know, visits to doctors or any treatment per se. Now, what was interesting is when those symptoms started coming back, some of those people, you know, six months, a year, two years down the road, the symptoms would start coming back and we'd start talking to them. And I, my, my interview with the patient would be, well, have you been doing, have you been continuing with the first step? Well, um, most of the time, Doctor Chuck. Okay, how about the second time? You know, I tried to. What about the third one? You know, I'm, I'm trying to drink as much water. I'm, I'm, I'm occasionally exercising. I only do it maybe once a week now. I don't, all these things just started. You know, they had dwindled off. They had kind of backed off. And so my question is, well, why did you slow it down? Why, why did you stop? And the answer is always, well, I got better. I got better, so I didn't think I needed it anymore. <laughs> so they, they yeah. did those steps. They got better, and then because they got better, they stopped doing it, and then symptoms start coming back, and they don't understand. So they, you have to understand that this you do these things to get better, but if you stop doing them, you will get back worse. I mean, why people don't do um, people have no uh, no problem comprehending doing an oil change from a preventive level in their car, mm -hmm. but they don't seem to understand that the body, being an ultimate piece of machinery, just need, doesn't need that much maintenance. I mean, none of this stuff costs money. Walking three miles a day does not cost you any money, you know. I was going to say, well, drinking water doesn't cost you money, but actually drinking water is more expensive than gasoline. When yeah, you if you buy it by the bottle, bottle, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but the point being that these steps in the book, and I'm not talking about the book, but this, the, the, the lifestyle that you were talking about, Robert, like this question about, you know, I only want to, 
I only want to implement these changes in my life if I know that I don't have cancer. Well, if you lead the right life, unfortunately, you can lead the perfect life and still become a victim or still become susceptible to cancer because you often can't control the air that you're breathing. You can't necessarily control some of the things that are happening in the food system. Whole Foods is a perfect example. Everybody thought they were getting Whole Foods. You know, Whole Foods, all everything's organic, and yet they find out that they had genetically modified um, foods that they were selling as organic. Right. So that's another thing that we try to do the right things, but we're still being um, exposed to certain things that aren't good for us. But mm-hmm. it certainly will increase your chances of living a longer and healthier life if you follow certain principles of diet, nutrition, and exercise, and water consumption, and stress management, and laughter, and in the, the nine steps that we basically talk about in, in the book. But the point being, the life, if you just talk about lifestyle, Robert, as you were just alluding to, yes, understand that doing certain things allows you to get to a certain level. It's not a destination that we're going for. It's the journey of doing it on a continuous basis that's going to allow us to achieve what our goal is. Yeah. By thinking yeah. of it as a destination, I get to X point X, and now I'm done. No, it doesn't work that way. No, as long as you got this this body, it, it operates by certain rules laid down to to us by the Creator. You get to figure it out. And if you let's say ignore them, deny them, you know those consequences are there. Not because the Creator's mad at you. That's not how I perceive it. It's just like, hey, those were the rules. You, you didn't do it. What did you expect, right? You see a little Rodney Dangerfield thing going on. Well, there's no respect here, right, for the rule. But you, you've got to apply them. The nine steps to keep the doctor away has those rules in them. Uh, you know, we wrote about it with Ty Bollinger, Unlock the Power to Heal. We give you these insights, these tips to, to live differently. Then the test becomes almost irrelevant because you know you're creating or out-creating that which was, let's say, subjugated you were subjugated to this victim consciousness like it's all it's all genetic or it's 90 percent genetic 97 percent when it may be five or four or three or two or one or zero in fact epigenetics indicates that you change your belief whatever you thought your destiny was can alter at the snap of a finger almost so the power you have to heal which is a theme here is a very real thing all we're doing by our conversation often is revealing it so that you can apply those insights in your own life in your own way and you know and see that this stuff really works and if it doesn't yeah turn the dial but we keep gaining new listeners because it's working well i was also going to add that right before i left my trip to the middle east uh, i had attended a conference and even though Intuitively, I knew this, and I've been incorporating this into my practice. The, the emotional aspect, in fact, is the fifth toxicity. Robert, you and I have been talking about the fifth toxicity for I don't know how long, but the fifth toxicity being the emotional psychological aspect. The seminar that I went to showed a technique of how to reduce or eliminate some of these issues, and I cannot tell you words don't justify what I saw myself and what I actually experienced myself with just dealing with some of these emotional issues. Some, most of the time, not even recognizing we had emotional issues. But how physical pain was altered, and it was pretty dramatic to the point that even with MRI scans, you could see the changes in the brain chemistry. Yeah, that's listen. That's advanced medicine, folks. It's not the future of medicine. It's the medicine of now and forever. Are you practicing? Are you living it? That's what I believe we're encouraging you to do. Dr. Batars rocking, rocking the health world for the better, and we appreciate him here. We got one more segment to go, Advanced Medicine. Again, links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Go to advancedmedicine.com as well. Lots to learn. Great heavens. What kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show. Mm-hmm. 
bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. And Dr. Bachar. And I'm still standing. We should play. I'm still standing. After all, you know, I shouldn't be, but here I am. And Dr. Bachar propping me up. Super Don propping me up. Brian Hooker last hour propping me up. I feel like, man, you guys are helping me out here. I appreciate that very much. Dr. Bittar, I I will be in Atlanta. I know that's a little closer to you. I don't know if you're going to be around, but April 21st, 22nd for the Alive Expo at the Cobb uh, Center. It's near the new Braves Stadium, so I'm going to be there Saturday, Sunday. And, uh, folks, if you want to get in for free, there are links in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. Love to see my friends up there in Atlanta. I haven't been back for a long time, so that'll be awesome. Dr. Bittar, do you have a lot of trips coming up, too? Uh, nothing for the – well, I'll be towards the end of April. We've got a couple of trips, um, but uh, not uh, open for the public events or anything like that. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah. All right. Well, no problem. Listen, we've we've got three stories that we kind of covered on the break, but I want to bring it back out now. It was about psychiatry. SSRIs, people are on them. They figure out, oh, my gosh, I can't get off of them. They thought it would be a temporary thing. There's a big story about that. Also, antidepressants given during pregnancy, how it impacts the brain health and neurological health of the offspring, of the child. And then the third one, which uh, apparently, Dr. Bachar, you and I are able to open it at the Wall Street Journal's website, and it goes into uh, food that battles, helps to battle depression. And, and you know, the, the, the two words put together, not often, nutritional psychiatry were mentioned again. We've seen that recently. And they acknowledge the role of whole, unprocessed foods, fruits, grains, all of these things, reversing or even preventing what they call depression. And you elaborated on that and went, well, this is what it really means, and it's much bigger. Yeah, basically that those things that they mentioned in that article that you sent me from the Wall Street Journal, that, and I, I don't know, Robert, do you think it's worth uh, reading that paragraph? Should I read that? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so it says psychiatrists and therapists don't often ask this question, but a growing body of research over the past decade shows that a healthy diet, which is described as high in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, fish, and unprocessed lean red meat, can prevent depression. And an unhealthy diet, high in processed food and refined foods, increases the risk for the disease in everyone, including children and teens. So my point that I made was very simple, that it's actually not that it would high in a diet that's high in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, fish, and unprocessed lean red meat can prevent depression. It can also prevent cancer, heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, et cetera, et cetera. It'll basically reduce the chances of any pathology. And an unhealthy diet high in processed foods and refined foods will lead to various types of pathology. So what they're talking about is very valid, but it's not the results aren't isolated just to depression, but rather it's all-encompassing to the entire physiological system. Essentially, you are optimizing physiology when you put in clean, healthy, uh, unadulterated substances into your body from a nutritionist basis, and you limit the amount of processed, toxic, whatever other things that you may be ingesting. And it makes sense. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if you have a machine and you put good things in it and don't put the bad things in it, the machine will work better and last longer. I mean, that's what it basically comes down to. Well, and we still get those that would argue that, well, I've done everything right, and you referenced this earlier in this hour. I've done everything right, and I still ended up sick. I still got cancer, right? But, again, that belies the fact that you don't look back far enough 
into the history of your own ancestors. Recent, I mean, parents, grandparents, all of these things. In homeopathy, we talk about miasms, but we can talk in terms of, of, of toxicity, of burdens that are passed on generation to re- generation, nutritional deficiencies that are passed. And so, you, you know, your starting points are different, each one of us. And as I've said, I was the canary in the coal mine of Generation X, having gotten all of my old age diseases out of the way first. Didn't know that's what was happening initially, but changing my lifestyle, it changed my future. It altered the so-called genetic blueprint of my life, the predetermined uh, life that people in genetics used to say was, well, it's all about that. Right. And Robert, I'd like to, I don't know how much time we have, but I'd like to give an example of somebody that, you know, it's a great story. We got about 30 seconds, so good luck. We had a patient that he's actually on the cancer DVD. He's a physician from Michigan, and um, he ended up actually uh, having cancer. Was an, he had been on ESPN and winning the, uh, I think they call it seniors um, bodybuilding competition, all natural, great shape, you know. Just he was all around, did everything right. Came back to finding out that when he was growing up in Chicago, in the inner city. Um, he had been inhaling the sparks from the raid cans. And so anyway, it goes back, you have to go way back to find out what, where a person got toxic. And so exactly. Your point. Beautifully said, Dr. Batar. And you nailed the 30 seconds. Now, tell them what they need to know because we got to go. The power to heal is unequivocally yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.